You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come, centered on Jesus Christ. Peace be with you. Uh, We're so glad that you guys are uh, joining us online this morning. We are uh, sorry for the bumpy start. Uh, When I'm in charge of Facebook Live, that's what happens. So uh, we need Tabitha Mead back. Props to her. Uh, She's our social media guru. So anyways, thanks for bearing with us and um, thanks for being flexible. You know, if there's anything uh, that we're learning in a global pandemic, it's that we can and we should as a church be flexible, um, that no matter what happens, that we can still worship together um, in spirit and in truth. Um, So we are so glad that you're here this morning. We're going to continue on today uh, in our sermon series in the book of Philippians. So I actually want to invite you to turn with me to Philippians 2, uh, and we're going to look today at verses 5 through 11. Um, If you uh, have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab it, um, to actually physically uh, open up your your Bible and and read with me. If not, you can look uh, behind me. Hopefully you can see that. Um, You can see the verses on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord from Paul, as he writes to the, uh, the Philippians, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ, Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, some translations say, or grasped or held onto. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we do come before you uh, in praise of you. We praise you that you are a God that did not consider his equality with God as something to be exploited. We praise you that you are willing to lay all of the power, the privileges, the rights that you had as God. You chose to lay all those down for us, for lowly sinners, lowly humans. For that, we're we're eternally grateful. We ask Jesus that as we look at your example today, that um, you would be the very fuel that drives us and, and shapes us and pushes us towards humility. Remembering that, as, as we read in Philippians 4 last week, that we should consider others' interests as more important than ourselves. We can only do this because you have modeled this for us, and you did this for us, Jesus. So we ask that today you would speak to us, that we have ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we, we live in a culture today, right, that uh, has an undergirding belief that Upward mobility is the primary aim of life. Sometimes in our country, this is referred to as the American dream. Now, this upward mobility, it can have different lanes to run in, but everybody is 
running to the top. For some, upward mobility uh, is all about the pursuit of wealth, more and better stuff. Here's what astronaut Buzz Aldrin quips. He says, I think the American dream used to be achieving one's goal in your field of choice. And from that, all other things will follow. Now, I think the dream has morphed into the pursuit of money. Accumulate enough of it and the rest will follow. For others, it's power. A great uh, cultural example of this is Frank Underwood from the, the series House of Cards. He actually scoffs at what Buzz Aldrin talked about um, in chasing money, and rather he lauds the pursuit of power. He says about a character in the show, such a waste of talent. He chose money over power. In this town, a mistake nearly everyone makes. Money is the McMansion in Sarasota that starts falling apart after 10 years. Power is the old stone building that stands for centuries. Cannot respect someone who doesn't see the difference. For, for others still, another lane to run into the top, if you will, is being the best in your field. Here's what NBA legend Bill Russell once said, I hope I epitomize the American dream, for I came against long odds from the ghetto to the very top of my profession. I was not immediately good at basketball. It did not come easy. It came as a result of a lot of hard work and self-sacrifice. The rewards, were they worth it? 1,000 times over. Though, though this upward mobility is often cast as the American dream, I, I don't think this is a uniquely American pursuit. I, I think that actually for all of human history, there has been this desire for an upward trajectory. Really, it's a trajectory toward being godlike. The first temptation of, of humankind, if you go all the way back in the Bible to Genesis, it was an appeal to Adam and Eve, our, our fourth parents. Um, it was an appeal to their desire to be like God, to ascend upward. And Paul today, he, he's writing to a city where citizenship and the status that it afforded was very important. The higher in the social strata that you were in, in Philippi, the better it was for you. So what I'm proposing to you today is that one of the greatest temptations to humanity is this endless pursuit of upward mobility. What I think we'll see today is that the remedy or the corrective for this temptation for us is to follow Jesus Christ's example of downward humility. So we're, today we're going to break up the text in three chunks. And in, in verse 5, we'll see the imitation of Christ. In verses um, 6 through 8, we'll see the humiliation of Christ. And then lastly, um, in verses 9 through 11, we'll see the exaltation of Christ. So first, the imitation of Christ. This passage, it's one of the most well-known and, and well, or most written about sections of Scripture. There's, there's a ton here to unpack but we need to remember that this, this, uh, this verse, it doesn't come to us in a hermetically sealed package, okay? It's not like a salad kit when you get it, right? It's a salad mixed together. This is a part of something bigger in Philippians. This is connected to the verses that we just looked at um, last week that Pastor James unpacked in verses 1 through 4. And then it, it will look further uh, next week in verses 12 through 18. This is all one section of Scripture. So that we're looking at, at a bite-sized chunk today, we need to remember that it's connected to something bigger, Last week, Paul makes this grand call for unity and humility in Philippians 2, 2 through 4. And then today in the passage we're looking at, he says, if you need to know how to do this, look to Christ. 
He's like, WWJD, y'all check him out. Paul writes in verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. He says, mimic Christ, copy him. Look, growing up, I, I love sports, uh, baseball and basketball. Those, those are my things. And like any budding athlete, I, I just remember uh, watching videos of, of NBA stars trying to learn their moves. And, and yes, even some N1 mixtape guys trying to, to emulate what they did. So I'd watch videos, you know, probably, um, if I can admit it, download them illegally on like LimeWire, Kazaa, Napster, whatever. You know, I'd watch those videos, then go out to the driveway and try it. And I would try it again and again until the move was in me. Whether it was Allen Iverson's crossover or Kobe's fadeaway or some ridiculous move by the professor or hot sauce that you can actually never do in regular competition, I would emulate those things. This is how you learn. You watch. You take in information. Then you try and then you practice until it's a part of you. So Paul tells us in, in verse 2 through 4, he says, to be like-minded, to have the same love, to be in one spirit and of one mind, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, to, in humility, value others above yourselves, to not look to your own interests, but the interests of others. And then he says, look at Jesus, who is your example. He, he did it. He lived it. So adopt his mindset. Copy him. Mimic him. Then check this out. We actually get to see the mindset of Christ. Do you hear that? Paul unpacks the mindset of Christ for us. And in this, we see in verses six through eight, the humiliation of Christ. Look at verse six with me. It says, Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Now, this is a huge theological point here. The, the word form, it doesn't, doesn't mean that Jesus just looked like God, that he had outward appearances. But in the original language, it talks about that he had the very um, existential attributes. It was his inner being that was God. And since he was God, he had equality with God. This is so important in understanding who Jesus is. He is God. He is equal to God. He has all the attributes, the rights, the privileges that come from being God. But nonetheless, he, he didn't consider those things. He didn't consider these rights and privileges of his godness, if you will, to be something that he should exploit. Something he should use to his own advantage. That he should grasp onto them as hard as he could. You hear that? His God rights, if you will, were not something that he lorded over others, but rather that he willingly laid down. King Jesus, he willingly laid his, down his rights for your freedom. He associated himself with the lowly, with the poor, with the marginalized. And what's more, he became those things for you. He became a slave so you could become free. Look at what he did in verse 7. It says, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant or a slave, taking on the likeness of humanity. What does it mean that he emptied himself? It doesn't mean that he rid himself of his deity, like if I was going to take a pitcher of water and pour it out. But rather, he set aside his rights and privileges. Again, they didn't go away. As theologian A.W. Tozer puts it, he says, Jesus veiled his deity, but he did not void his deity. 
If you think about Superman, okay, somehow when he uh, puts on his glasses, you know, he buttons up his suit and goes by the name Clark Kent. Nobody knows that he's faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap buildings in a single bound. But because he's veiled his powers, it doesn't mean that they cease to exist or to be essential to his being. Even though veiled, Clark Kent is not void of his supermanness. Kids, I'm going to quiz you, okay? Do you remember a couple weeks ago, we actually had a catechism question that addressed this? The question is, what makes Jesus different? If you remember the answer, I'll give you a chance to say it to your parents. You can get maybe a cookie after, no, maybe later, after lunch. So what makes Jesus different? The answer is Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus becoming a man is the pinnacle, the peak example of downward humility. But he went even lower than that. He didn't just become a man. He didn't just become a human. He entered from the highest state as God to the lowest state as a slave or a servant. Commentator Frank Thielman, he says, the slave in Greco-Roman society was deprived of the most basic human rights. In the same way, Christ refused to exploit the privilege of his deity and giving up that right became a slave. Now, it's important for us to note the difference here. A lot of times when we hear that word slave, we, we think um, our, our, our nation's history of chattel slavery. Um, and this does not, uh, this is different than that. It's indentured servitude. It doesn't make it um, not bad or, or, uh, or right or anything like that. But this indentured servitude, it was different. It was paying off a debt through labor. This is the lowest status or position in that society. This is the bottom rung of the social strata. And as we talked about in, in, uh, in Philippi, the social hierarchy was of the utmost importance. But check this out. Jesus lowered himself even further than that. It says in verse 7b and verse 8, when he came as a man, and specifically as a servant, he further humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. You know, because we're so desensitized to it, we actually lose the lowliness of the cross. But this is, this is such a shameful act that, that Romans, uh, uh, the, the Greco-Roman um, citizens, they didn't even talk about it. Like, this might make you uncomfortable, but it'd be like if we talked about farting or pooping, like right here on stage, right? It's like, ugh, why, why are you saying those words? But they didn't even talk about the cross because of how lowly and how demeaning it was. Respectable people didn't talk about the crucifixion. So do you see that? Do you see the extent to which Jesus laid down his rights? He laid it down and abandoned his privileges, his, his deserved glory as God. He laid it all down for sinful man, for you and for me. And, and this is what we're supposed to imitate? Are you serious? Do 
Jesus lowers himself, he humbles himself willfully and obediently. And then in verse 9 through 11, we see the exaltation of Christ. Look at verse 9 with me. It says, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him, Jesus, the name that is above every name. Now, now Paul actually makes up a word here. Jesus wasn't just kind of exalted, you know, normal exaltation. Paul says he was super duper exalted. And it's not that he becomes more exalted than he already was. He was and is God. But as the God-man, one being, Jesus is exalted again to the right hand of God and is now called Lord. He's given the name above every name's. And what comes now with this highly exalted status? Well, we're given a future picture of what will be in, in verses 10 through 11. It says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this isn't abundantly descriptive, so we need to be careful not to put too much into this uh, eschatological picture, this future picture. But it seems to be clear that at some point, all of humankind will bow down and confess Jesus as Lord. But I think there's going to be a difference. Some Confessions will be done out of genuine repentance, out of a recognition of sinfulness, and a recognition of the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf. Be a, a, a willful and genuine repentance. But I think on the other side, there, there will be some that is, is merely admittance. Simply saying, oh man, I missed the boat, but Jesus really is Lord. Standing here before him, I, I, I can't deny that fact. It is clear, though, that every knee at some point will bow and every tongue at some point will confess that Jesus is Lord. So what what do we do with this? What what is God inviting us into as a church, as Christ followers, as citizens of heaven? I think the invitation from God here is pretty straightforward. It's verse 5. Adopt the mindset of Christ and pursue downward humility. Here's what what authors Tony Morita and Francis Chan write in their commentary on Philippians. They say, He, Jesus, could have clutched his rights, his blessings, and his benefits as king of glory, but he lived open-handedly, again, not grasping on his equality with God. He lived open-handedly, showing us what benevolent generosity and service look like. Do you have a hard time letting go of your possessions, they ask? Do you find it hard to relinquish your rights? That's a poignant statement. If we apply Jesus' mindset to marriage and other relationships, imagine what our lives would look like. But I want to ask further, imagine with me what would our church look like? What, What would your friendships look like? What would our homes look like, our families our relationships with our roommates, our workplaces, our neighborhood, even our city. Frank Thielman, again, he says, love, hear this, love, not possession of rights, should be the believer's guide. We should be guided by love, he says. Look, the the sad reality is that many in our faith care more about holding on to the rights and privileges that come from our pursuit of upward mobility than than we do about exhibiting 
Christ-like humility. We are just, we're culturally wired to think that bigger, better, faster, stronger, smarter is always right. And that that's the end pursuit of man. But here's the problem with that. Look, if, if we view the world through the lens of upward mobility, then it is always a zero-sum game. A, a zero-sum game says that if you are to win, then that means I have to lose. Now hear me, if you have that mindset, if we see the world, or, or even worse, we see the church as a zero-sum game, then the logical end says that this passage is not true and that there is no value whatsoever in laying down yourself for the good of others. If, if we are to mimic Christ, if we are to adopt his mindset, as Paul calls us to do, then it's following the path of downward humility. Now, Paul talks about this in different terms throughout his writing. In, in the letter um, that Paul wrote to the Romans, he says uh, in, in, uh, in chapter 15, he says, now we who are strong have an obligation. We have a duty to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us, he says in 15.2, is to please his neighbor for his good, for his neighbor's good, to build him up, to build his neighbor up. Why? Because he says in Romans 15, 3, for even Christ did not please himself. Now, think about that for a second. So, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. So that means those who are weak actually have a right to us laying ourselves down for them if we are in Christ together. Paul uses so many metaphors to illustrate what Christ has done for us and the path that we're to follow. Don't miss these. We saw in Philippians, he had divine rights and privileges, but he set them aside and became rightless and privilegeless. In Romans, as we just saw, he had all strength and he became weak. In Corinthians, we know uh, Paul gives another example. He says that Christ was rich but became poor. That's, that's downward humility right there. That's not upward mobility. So how do we do this? How, how are we even supposed to pursue this? One of the first things that I want to encourage all of us to do is, is to take stock of who we are. We need to take stock of who we are and understand the rights and privileges that belong to our person, to our individual selves. Each of us, look, hear me, each of us are in unique positions based on our, our story, our, our family of origin, the color of our skin, our education level, our socioeconomic status, our jobs, all of these things put each of us in unique positions and call each of us in different ways to lay down things for the good of others. The old British pastor, Charles Spurgeon, he once said, thorough examination will do the healthy no harm and it may bless the sick. 
Look, if you say, I I don't think about those things. I don't think about my education level or the color of my skin or my job or my story. I actually think that's a really dangerous place to be. I think if you're in that position, there's likely two scenarios. One, you have not practiced gratitude before God for the things that you have in your life. Or maybe worse, you have not processed the suffering of your story. You see, if Jesus did not consider equality as something to be grasped, that means what? That means that he first considered his equality as as God, right? He thought about it. He processed it. He understood that he had all the rights of being equal with God. He considered those things. He thought about those realities. He thought about his unique position. And then he decided, he he consciously said that he did not consider those things as that which he should exploit. Look, how, how, how on earth can you willfully lay down, like Jesus, your rights, your privileges, the things you have, whatever it is, how can you willfully lay those things down if you, if you don't even know what they are, if you don't take stock of those things? So first, you've got to take stock of yourself. Elsewhere, Paul calls this just examining yourself. It's not like I'm making up uh, fancy language. Paul says, examine yourselves. So take stock. And then second, we all need to ask the question, where is God inviting me to lay down myself? Where is God inviting me to lay down my rights, my privileges, my stuff, my hard-earned things? Where's he inviting me to lay those things down to see others lifted up? Jesus, where, where can I follow you to the, pathward of, to the path of downward mobility for the good of others? Maybe it's, it's using your finance or, or law degree to do pro bono work for those who can't afford it. Sure, you, you won't make the money that your services normally require, but you're laying that down for others. This Friday, uh, my wife and I actually, um, thanks to a friend of mine, Antoine, uh, recommending it. We watched the movie Just, Just Mercy. Um, shout out, Antoine. It was great. Uh, it gives a really great picture, though, of this idea of downward mobility. This guy, Brian Stevenson, had a Harvard law degree <laughs> because he, he wanted to see men who were wrongfully accused and wrongfully convicted sentenced to death row. He wanted to see them get a fair shot, a fair trial. He, he laid down the things that he could have used to his advantage. You think a Harvard law degree will get you somewhere in life? Yeah. It's not like he didn't amount to anything though, right? He, he used those things to lay down his goods, his rights, the money he could earn, even his status. He laid those down for the good of others. Maybe it's using your voice and your sphere of influence to speak up about racial injustices that you see in society. Yeah, you, you may lose your platform, but you're, you're setting that aside for others. Think on a smaller scale, maybe it's going the extra mile at home. You've worked 12-hour days and you're probably exhausted. 
you should probably go to sleep, right? But doing the dishes would be a great gift to your spouse or your roommate. Kids, even think about your lives, maybe as an older brother or older sister, maybe it's taking the time to teach your younger brother or sister how to do something that you know how to do and they can't. Or maybe it's it's sharing that, that special toy that you don't let anyone play with. Maybe it's sharing to let them enjoy it as well. The, the path downward, it's not easy. Not only does it go against our, our culturally wired thinking, but it requires us to lay things down that we don't know whether or not they will come back in the same way. If you do a bunch of pro bono work, you don't know that you'll ever get compensated for it. Odds are you won't. If you speak up against racial injustices, you, you don't know that your social capital will ever return. If you lay down your wants and desires at home, there's no guarantee that those things will be reciprocated by your spouse, by your kids, by your roommates. They might not clean the dishes back to you, man. <laughs> you know? But that's not why we do it. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, in his uh, great little um, essay, Suffering in Faith, he says, It's possible for one to be self centered in his self denial and self righteous in his self sacrifice. We, we need to remember that the invitation to, to downward humility is not done to one day get earthly success or notoriety or, or pats on the back. We, we do it. We pursue the path of downward humility because we serve a God that promises to exalt the humble. That's just, that's how he works. That's not a health and wealth gospel promise, okay? That's scriptural. Look at this. Matthew 23 and Luke 18, they say, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Look, our, our, our sinful nature and, and our culture, they all say, they scream at us, exalt yourself, because no one else will. Take care of yourself, because uh, your, take care of your needs, because no one else will. Who's going to look after you, right? You got to do it on your own. But this is what our God says. He, he says, no, you take care of others. Lay, lay yourself down and I'll be the one to lift you up. Again, hear me, that, that's not a health and wealth promise, okay? Exaltation may not happen on this side of heaven, okay? I'm not saying if you sow, sow your seeds of money here at Carlisle that you're gonna drive a Lamborghini in a couple months. Like that's not how this promise works. Exaltation may not happen on this side of heaven, but we can rest in the scriptural promise that if we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. Look, God, God hasn't called you to do anything that he himself hasn't already done. And he isn't promising to do anything that he won't be willing to do. We, we pursue downward humility because in it, we become more like Christ. Christ. 
We share in his sufferings when we willfully and obediently lay ourselves down for others. We give because we've been given to. We empty ourselves because we've been emptied for. We weaken ourselves because we have been weakened for. Praise God that in his humiliation that we ourselves have experienced exaltation. And that's the gospel, friends. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.